everyone, and welcome to the Healthy is Hot podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Wilde, entertainment reporter by day, sweatpant connoisseur by night. From hashtag to movement, we believe that loving all sides of you is what's healthy, and healthy is hot. Join us as we have raw, real conversations with badass individuals living passionate lives, thriving to make their dreams come true, and diving deep in how they got to where they are. And the best part? How health is a key component of all of it. From the highs to the lows, we get into it. From fitness to mental health to aspirational careers, get ready to be inspired. Also, we don't hold back. There might be swearing, there's definitely gonna be some laughing. And hopefully, you can take something away from these conversations to live your best life. To live your healthiest hot life. I hope you're ready for a juicy episode. I'm just gonna go ahead and say if there are little ones around, maybe put some headphones on. We are welcoming Dr. Alyssa Dweck, who is a practicing gynecologist to the Healthiest Hot podcast. She is also an author of three books. And I mean, this woman knows so much about the OBGYN world. It is amazing. She's also an accomplished triathlete. And really, Dr. Dweck offers her expertise across various platforms in an effort to destigmatize gynecological issues and also support women's health across the country. This is, wow, this conversation. We talk about vaginas. Yes, the big V. Um, This is her area of expertise, and she gets really candid about some hot-button topics like sex, orgasms, lube, periods, period pain, vitamins we should be taking to really enhance our life. So if ever you've wondered about your V, I think there's something in here for you. Enjoy. Well, this is going to be a very exciting podcast episode, everyone. We are talking about vaginas. If that word bothers you, I'd urge you to stick around. And if it's a word you're comfortable with, then welcome on in because we have the author of the complete A to Z for your V here on the podcast, A Woman's Guide to Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Your Vagina, Health, Pleasure, Hormones, and More. Dr. Dweck, thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. You know what? I like to think that I'm pretty comfortable with my body, but talking about my vagina is actually something I don't do a lot. I talk about my periods a lot. I talk about my ovaries and my cysts a lot, but I don't actually talk about the vagina, but I think today that's going to change. I certainly hope so because this is just a day in the life for me. I talk vagina all day long and uh, no holes barred. So fire away. I mean, over two decades in your industry, I imagine you've probably covered every topic imaginable, had all kinds of conversations. Why is this a field and an area that you're so passionate about? And how did you get into it? So that's such a great question. You know, OBGYN here in the States anyway, is such a fun field. It's full of drama, and I tend to be drawn to drama for better or worse. It also really allows for a practitioner to get to know their patients from their very first period or a little bit after that, through their first relationship, through their first baby, through their hormonal transitions into menopause. And, you know, that's a privilege and a ton of fun. Delivering babies, of course, is lots of fun, but also uh, no rest for the weary. So that's something that many of us stop after 20 or 25 years in the business. And, you know, there's something to be said for being able to relate to a lot of the issues that my patients have to go through. So 
Yeah, I can imagine. To be honest, when I'm sitting here, I'm 32. I've actually never seen an OBGYN. Family physicians are very well versed in all of the OBGYN issues uh, that come up regularly. Surely if there's something super specific or complex, then seeing a specialist might be in order. But no, it's different in different locations. I happen to have my practice in New York in the US. So, you know, we, we have an abundance of OBGYNs and that's who many women see through the years. I mean, take me back to the beginning. You're in med school. You're thinking to yourself, all right, this is this is what I'm going to specialize in. Was it an automatic like yes for you? Did you know from the beginning that this was going to be your field of expertise? Not at all. I mean, I always knew I was going the medical route. I just really have a, an affinity to science and medicine, and I've always thought it was a super cool field. But it wasn't until I started doing, you know, clinical rotations, being exposed to the different fields of medicine, but also being so inspired by different mentors that you get to meet through all uh, different rotations. So I guess just when I hit the OBGYN uh, rotations, it resounded with me and the rest was history. Thing is, You're kind of changing the narrative when it comes to women and probably men too, like just being okay talking about sexual health, vaginal health, you know, all of the things that come with it, difficult conversations that occasionally have a lot of taboos surrounding them. You're kind of out there being like, no, no, no. We don't need to make this awkward. We don't need to make this uncomfortable or taboo. This is just part of who we are. Well, look, I have a lot of wonderful trailblazers and leaders ahead of me that have made this path a little bit easier. But I find that women in general are very thirsty for knowledge about their bodies and about what they're going through hormonally. And after all, we are not we're not men. We have different, uh, different uh, physiology and anatomy, obviously. So uh, I find women are, are really thirsty for knowledge. And uh, I find it a lot of fun to, to teach and educate. And speaking about being thirsty, what would you say are some of the biggest things that women come to you for with concerns? Because I, I don't want to generalize, of course, we're all very, very different, but I'm sure there are some patterns, some topics that are recurring over the years. And you're like, okay, yeah, they're very thirsty for this. I'm going to include this in my next book. Yeah, you know, right now, and I guess maybe it's just a phase that society is going through, it's become much more common and comfortable to talk about hormones and to talk about health and wellness rather than illness. So I'm seeing lots and lots of women, particularly in their early 40s and older, who are navigating some of the changes that their bodies are going through hormonally towards menopause and then during menopause. And and this is a hot topic of conversation. The other thing is that women are getting much more comfortable, thank goodness, coming in with concerns about their sexual lives. And this you know, spans the ages. This is not just for the perimenopausal or menopausal crowd. Concerns about sexual pain or lack of sexual drive or maybe contraceptive issues as it relates to sexual activity. So these are things that we're uh, seeing much more commonly in the office and that people are a little bit more open to talking about. And quite frankly, I bring these subjects up with all my patients And I often will just see sort of a sigh of relief, like, oh, thank God she asked me about that so I didn't have to figure out how to ask the question. 
And like, which I think is great because I think going to the doctor and you're like, you're an incredibly friendly person. Like I want to be around you. Like if I had to pick a doctor to have uncomfortable <laughs> conversations with, it would be you, but it's sometimes very intimidating. You go to these clinics. It can sometimes feel very sterile, very impersonal. You know, you, you have to often like disrobe show, you know, it's very vulnerable. So then to talk about lack of sex drive or cramps or menopause around the corner, like it, it really kind of humanizes all of us and sometimes makes us feel quite scared. And I want to talk about sex drive a little bit because, you know, we're living during a difficult time. It's a pandemic. I'm sure sexual drive has really just diminished for a lot of people, but also that's something that, you know, I've had conversations with friends about this, but sex drive is supposed to be just like a given when you're quote unquote young, like I'm in my thirties, like you're supposed to have an oozing abundance of out of sex drive, but sometimes that's just not the case. And it's quite difficult to talk about that and to kind of know like, well, what is, can we do something about it? Like, what is this telling me about my health? Yeah. Wow. I have so much to say on the subject. So first and foremost, sexual drive is complicated. It's not like guys where you just have to flick a switch up, down, done. It's just not like that for women. So women have a lot of variables that go into sexual drive. Probably the biggest sexual organ up here in your head, your brain. If your brain isn't really there and in the present when it comes to sexual drive and you've got 50 other chores and multitasking items on your checklist to do, you know, your drive is likely going to be diminished. A lot of it is hormonal. A lot of it is relationship oriented. If you're angry at your partner for whatever reason, you may not feel a whole lot of drive. So these are things that we often will tease out during a uh, consultation about drive. And then pain is really big. You know, so many women do suffer with pain, whether it's due to dryness in the vagina or due to some structural issue like a fibroid or a cyst like you brought up or something called endometriosis. We have to address that because after all, Who's going to want to engage in something that's always painful? And, and these are oftentimes correctable issues. So it is complicated. You bring up the pandemic, which of course is universal. You know, none of us are, are, are really being spared from having to manage this stress. Stress is a huge buzzkill in the bedroom. Um, and I've seen many, many women coming in just telling me that their drive is affected by this because of anxiety and stress and worries about their health. And how do you protect yourself if you're not living with the partner that you want to have sex with? Um, and these are big issues. Mm, two things I really want to highlight. One, vaginal dryness. I mean, lube is a beautiful thing. It's beautiful. It's like whoever decided to create that put on the market, like, thank you. You know, we all go through dry spells. Some of us just, that's just how our bodies function. And there's no shame in needing to bring a little something extra into the bedroom. What's your kind of clinical opinion on lube? And are there some that we should avoid and some that you kind of give your seal of approval on? I've been hearing a lot about natural lubricants, but that kind of terrifies me. So I'm curious what you have to say. Yeah. So first, I'm always very careful with the word, word natural because, you know, cyanide's natural and not so great for us. So when it comes to lubes, there is such a variety. And I think that, you know, it's very individual what people choose. There are water-based lubes like your typical over-the-counter KY jelly, Astroglide, and these are just fine for the majority of people. Some women turn towards a silicone lubricant, 
One of my favorites, and I have no vested interest in this, is called Uberlube. It's a silicone and vitamin E uh, type of um, lubricant. Very popular, very long lasting. Many people tolerate this really well without mm -hmm. any sensitivities. And then lots of women who want to go this quote unquote natural route will do something like coconut oil. Oh. Um, keeping in mind that oil-based lubricants do not they, they really don't mix with condoms. So if you are counting on condoms to prevent you from pregnancy or infection, an oil-based lubricant is not going to be the, the right choice. But with that said, there are so many different choices out there. You can really uh, choose what's appropriate for you. Lots of my patients will come in with dryness. We, we end up finding out there's maybe there's an infection that we treat and the feeling of dryness goes away. Some women are going through hormone changes or are taking hormones like birth control pills for example, and feel dry as a result of that, lubricant can be their best friend. And remember, lubes are not uh, necessarily um, only for a problem like dryness. They often just enhance pleasure. So why not try something new that may make the experience even better than great? Um, so there's uh, plenty of choices out there. I mean, it's like the cherry on top of an already delicious Sunday, you know, like why not treat yourself to a little extra something, something, even if you don't necessarily need it. And you know what? They wouldn't have so many choices on the shelves if loads of other people weren't purchasing this. On the other hand, if you still feel a little gun shy about this, you know, a lot of these lubricants can be purchased sort of uh, discreetly online and sent to you in a box. So, you know, there's many routes that you can go. I, I often... Um, you know, lubes are not just for, you know, women who are older. They also are for a, a young crowd, again, for enhancement of pleasure and for dryness. Remember, the natural menstrual cycle allows for the height of lubrication to be mid-cycle when ovulation is occurring and a little bit thereafter. That facilitates, you know, the natural drive for um, getting pregnant and mm. also for uh, lubricant at that time because it facilitates uh, pregnancy by helping sperm get to where it needs to go. Oh, if that's your, so if that's your purpose. Yeah, mm -hmm. if that's your purpose. It's not totally fine too. Something that you mentioned before too that was uh, just like related to sex drive and kind of just comes back to what healthy is, ha is all about is about mindfulness and also just like being really present in whatever you are doing, whether that's going for a walk, moving your body, eating a healthy meal, being present with your loved ones, and also in the bedroom, like that mind vagina connection is really important because you're right. If your mind is not there, if you're not present, if you're not mindful, you're not really going to enjoy it and nothing's going to work. So I kind of love that you bring the mind body connection into like the bedroom, but also just in regards to your body, because there's constant information being told to us from our bodies. And if we're not kind of listening to it and aware of it, we're going to miss so much. Yeah. Well, I, I think that has so much to do with sexual drive. If you have a laundry list of chores or stress producers on your mind, like, when am I going to get my groceries? Is my laundry finished yet? You know, I really like those shoes that I saw in the store. You're really not going to be in the present and uh, focus on sex. A lot of women, especially where I practice, you know, women are, are so high powered and they're working and they have families and they have loads of responsibilities and now a pandemic on top of everything. You know, they, they uh, worry that they don't have time for intimacy. And, and that's just, if you really think about it, sex probably takes, you know, 10 to 20 minutes at most, if you want to, you know, be mindful of your time. 
is that really going to affect your day if you take 20 minutes to focus on only that? Likely not. And in fact, sex itself will probably help enhance your concentration, de-stress you a little bit so that you'll actually be more efficient with everything else that you need to get done. We have been prescribed sex, everybody. I really would love to get like your opinion from all of your years of work in this world about orgasms. Like, I feel like there's, there's also a lot of taboo about that, especially with women, the idea that like, maybe you can have them, maybe you can't always have them, maybe you have to fake them sometimes. Like what's going on with orgasm? And is there anything we can do to kind of like enhance our chances of getting there? So the mindfulness conversation is big in the orgasm world. If you are spectating and just watching yourself and saying, hmm, I wonder if it's going to happen. Is it happening yet? Am I going to have an orgasm? Is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's not going to happen. You have to really be in the present. So that's number one. And I think we've uh, beaten that subject to death. Um, you know, I think the biggest misconception is that penetrative intercourse is the way to orgasm for most women. And that's not necessarily the case. Most women really achieve orgasm through direct clitoral stimulation. Mm -hmm. So it may not be all about penetration for lots of people. I think the other miscommunication is that women need to speak to their partners about what works and what doesn't work because they really can't read your, uh, your mind. And, uh, you know, so, so that's a big thing, direct communication. Uh, it's, it's less common that there's actually something physiologically wrong that doesn't allow for orgasm, but women can be, uh, you know, taught or they can teach themselves how to achieve a stronger or more uh, pleasurable orgasm with uh, practice and again, direct communication. And women who are unpartnered, you know, you oftentimes will just use toys that uh, satisfy them and they don't have to be big, huge toys that go inside. They can be external stimulation toys. Mm, love that so much. So much good information here. And from, you know, from that kind of talk to more of a period talk, because I talk very openly about periods and it's something that we go through on a very regular basis. And a lot of the times it's really unenjoyable. And, you know, I've been reading things that we actually shouldn't be in that much pain when our periods come. And usually if there is a lot of pain, that can sometimes be indicative of something. Is there truth to that? And like, what kind of have you been learning throughout your decades in this in this field about periods and period pain and kind of like the bloating and everything that comes with it? Yeah. So sadly, so many women uh, really go through torture each month with their periods. And you are absolutely right. The first thing to make sure of is that there's nothing really medically wrong, such as a cyst or a fibroid or a condition called endometriosis uh, that might be causing discomfort or infection. Lots of reasons. Once those things have been ruled out and or treated, there are ways to help with treatment of all of these miserable period symptoms. So I think first and foremost is anticipating them. Most women really know what their cycles are doing. If you keep a calendar that's sort of old fashioned and written down, or you keep a, a high tech app, you should have a pretty reasonable idea of number one, when your period is coming and when your symptoms of discomfort are their worst so that you can prepare and prepare those around you so that they know what's going on. <laughs> um, I think, you know, heating pads go a long way for pain. Over-the-counter medications for pain, whether it's, you know, ibuprofen or acetaminophen or uh, whatever works for you for pain, things that are relaxing like a hot bath, 
believe it or not, exercise, very helpful for uh, menstrual discomfort. First, because it releases endorphins in your brain. These are feel-good chemicals that kind of almost act as natural painkillers, but also because it's a de-stressifier brings more blood flow to uh, muscles. So these things can help with discomfort. Some people turn to hormones or even other more, uh, you know, um, uh, stronger pain medication or other medications that get to the crux of the matter as to what's causing your pain. Uh, but anticipation is, is key. Planning ahead. I mean, I feel like that's that's kind of the one of the biggest tips for living a healthy life. You know, you want to eat healthy in the week, but you're busy. You meal prep. You want to work out, but you're worried life's going to get in the way. You schedule it in. You hold yourself accountable. You're someone who struggles with their periods. Let's make a plan. You know, and we got happens twelve times a year, so there's lots of opportunities to make a plan. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk, I know here in Canada, especially I'm not quite sure in the States about CBD and how CBD, whether applied topically or taken orally can be also quite helpful for period pain from a medical perspective. Is there research that supports this or what do you think is going on? Yeah. So this is a tough one because, you know, traditional medical teachings don't generally say, let's just, you know, pull out the CBD and, and treat everything. But we are finding that CBD is helpful for inflammation and there is literature to support this. Um, also as a, as a pain uh, manager, if you will, again, I'm speaking of CBD only and not THC, which mm -hmm. people use, um, you know, uh, recreationally uh, and, and that's not going to be a medical recommendation. Um, the other thing that you brought up that I think is so key is diet and supplements that might be helpful, uh, not only for periods and all the ailments that go along with, but just for general health and well-being. So for sure, most women have cravings of certain types before their periods. Again, this is where that anticipatory calendar comes in helpful. So you can kind of, you know, be alerted to that and monitor and manage your diet appropriately. But the more salt you eat before your diet, the more bloated you're going to get from water weight retention. And that adds on to the already present water retention and bloat that might come before your period. A lot, so, so eliminate or moderate your salt mm -hmm. intake. Um, the other thing is um, alcohol. Alcohol can make you fatigued just because that's what alcohol does. Lots of women also have, you know, period uh, fatigue, whether it's because they've bled and they're a little bit anemic and weakened or just because a lot of women feel fatigued before their period. So moderate or eliminate alcohol at that time. These are simple things. There's been some um, thought that calcium, magnesium, these things might help with some uh, menstrual symptoms, but surely they're helpful for uh, headaches calcium helpful for bone health. Um, and then there's another supplement that I often recommend, not necessarily for periods, but for general health and well-being, mm -hmm. one for cellular health called Truniagen. And this is a vitamin B, a certain form of vitamin B that helps every single cell in your body make energy from whatever food you're eating. And after all, we all want to have more energy in the most natural way we can. And I think this supplement can uh, really assist with that. Oh, that's so interesting because the supplement world can be very overwhelming. I mean, you go to any shop and there's just aisles filled with supplements and it's hard to know what might actually make a real impact 
in our lives. And I think it's pretty common knowledge that B vitamins are great for energy, for carb metabolism, but it's kind of interesting that you're saying that this one in particular will help every cell in your body because, you know, every cell in our body has a little energy production machine happening inside mm -hmm. of it, which we need for everything. You know, we need it for living, for muscle contraction, for dealing with our periods. We need energy to deal with all this and for our organs to function properly. And for sex, don't forget that. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that thank you for that recommendation can you say it one more time just in case anyone missed it oh sure it's called true niogen it's uh like i said a b3 supplement that's been shown in study after study after study to help cells make more energy and optimize energy production um you know on a, on a, on a cellular level so this is a super helpful thing. Other B vitamins that you brought up, absolutely. A multivitamin will contain general B vitamins, but this particular form of B3 um, is, uh, is a separate supplement. As long as we're talking supplements, I did wanna just make a plug for vitamin D, which is very helpful for women in their bone health, especially during winter months in the Northeast where I practice or in Canada where you are. <laughs> and, um, you know, this uh, vitamin D is difficult to get in diet source um, so that it's very helpful to take as a supplement to help with bone health, particularly since we're not getting it from the sun during the winter months. When it comes to the amount of vitamin D, that's something where I've seen there's quite a quite a range of recommendations. Some kind of are on the low end and some are saying, no, actually we need a lot of vitamin D, especially in the winter months. Can you help clarify kind of what yeah. recommendation? Sure. The standard recommendation is between 800 and 1000 international units daily for vitamin D3. And you're right, there's a massive number of supplements available. So you really do have to use sort of a reputable company um, that's uh, recognized and uh, available. Um, if you really don't know whether you're deficient in D, you can get a blood test to check for this and then um, advise uh, supplementation dosing according to that. So super high doses will usually come with uh, low levels as determined by blood. But just as a daily supplement, uh, 800 to 1,000 international units daily. I will make note that vitamin D is also very helpful for immune function and support. And with this pandemic going on, you know, we're all trying to get our immune systems to function uh, at an optimal level. So D is going to be uh, one, one part of that. Vitamin D3, everyone. And I want to end this conversation just going back to the book that I mentioned at the beginning, A to Z for your V. I mean, this isn't the first book about vaginas that you have put out, but what makes this one different? Like what should women get excited about when they pick up this book, they open it up? Like how is it different than other literature that's out there? Oh, thanks so much for asking. You know, I think my favorite part of this book is that it's accurate medical information presented in a way that's funny and accessible and easy to read. It doesn't need to, it's not a, a formal medical book by any means, but it really has up-to-date credible information. It also isn't something that gets read necessarily from page one to page 200, whatever it is, but you know, you can pick and choose chapters based on what's of interest to you. It's a, a, you know certainly appropriate for women or young girls of all ages. And I think it 
everybody will find some sort of topic in there that is uh, appropriate for them and, and quite interesting. And don't be fooled. I have found many men picking this book up <laughs> to answer some of the mysteries that they're not understanding about women in their lives. I'm sure you're very proud of all the chapters, but are there a couple topics that you're really excited about that are in this book? You know, that's a good question. I really never thought about it. Probably some of the sex chapters, which I have always found to be a very interesting and never dull uh, subject matter. And uh, that's probably one of my favorites. And I, I happen to be a nutrition buff. So I, I really like that chapter as well. Nutrition. Wait, so sorry, sex and nutrition are separate topics, I'm assuming, right? I'm, or oh, yeah, <laughs> this, this book has, uh, but they can be very, very closely associated. But yeah, this book is divided into literally A through Z chapters. And everything has some sort of correlation to that the big V. So yeah. Oh, the big V. It should be our favorite letter, everyone. You know, I, you know, you're still very active in your practice. What's your hope when it comes to how women feel about their vaginas and having conversations about what's going on down there. So I think the biggest question that I get in my office is with that huge look of concern, is this normal? Is what I just experienced normal? Is what I had a month ago normal? People are scared. People are fearful. They want reassurance that what they're dealing with with their bodies is normal or maybe something that's not unusual or something that needs to be addressed. So uh, that's the message that I'm hoping to get out there is that yes or no, maybe this is normal, maybe this is normal for you. And if not, this is what we can do about it. Amazing. So just getting comfortable talking about it, you know, having a safe space. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that once people find out what you do, you must get stopped everywhere you go. No, not really. <laughs> You believe it or not, um, the conversation always seems to uh, end up talking about something in the vagina world. And I can still see people hiding under the table. So I'd like it to be a more open conversation without so much fear and embarrassment. Well, thank you. I definitely feel like this conversation is a step in the right direction. I think I have said vagina more times in the last half hour than I have maybe in my entire life. So thank you so much for joining us on the Healthiest Hot Podcast. Congratulations again on your latest book, The Complete A to Z for your V. Pick it up. Pick it up for yourself. Pick it up for a loved one. I think there's a lot of information to be gained here. And just like that, another episode of the Healthy is Hot podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Chloe Wild. Now, if you enjoyed this chat, feel free to subscribe so you never miss out. Rate and leave us a comment. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Healthy is Hot. And of course, healthy is fucking beautiful. We'll see you next week. Bye.